In the past few weeks, Armenians in Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, an Armenian Republic within Azerbaijani borders, have experienced unprovoked destruction and violence from Azeri military forces, openly backed by Turkey both militarily and diplomatically, including transporting paid mercenaries. This violence against the Armenian people continues to pursue with no immediate end in sight. Although very recently, as of October 10th, Armenia and Azerbaijan both signed a ceasefire brokered by Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, mere hours after the treaty going into effect, Azeri forces not only began a new offensive within Artsakh, but continued their regular bombing attacks, committing multiple war crimes without repercussion. The issue in Artsakh is not just one of territory, but is one that can and has already begun to lead to ethnic cleansing, a second phase of the Armenian genocide. As if that wasn't enough, further escalation could also lead to a battle for influence in the South Caucasus, drawing countries like Iran, Russia, and Turkey, as well as some Western attention over the issue of the region's oil and gas infrastructure. It is important to point out that the population of Artsakh is only about 150,000 and Armenia is only about 3 million. My new up against Azerbaijan and Turkey's population, which is a combined over 90 million people. There is no logical reason for Artsakh or Armenia to initiate this war. The only desire of the people of Artsakh is to live in their ancestral homeland in peace and with democratic freedom. Turkey's President Erdogan, supporting Azerbaijan, is only a small part of his bigger objective, which is to achieve his pan-Turkism agenda, to create a union between the Turkic states, such as Turkey, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Turkmenistan, and reinstate the Ottoman Empire. During the beginning of September, I had the high honor of interviewing Armenian National Committee of America's own executive director, Aram Hamparyan, who serves as the organization's national point person with the administration, U.S. Congress, the media, and the Washington, D.C. foreign policy community about certain issues that I believe are critical to the Armenian people, country, and cause. During our conversation, we talked about a variety of different issues, specifically about the Velvet Revolution of 2018, the situation of Artsakh and Azerbaijan, and more broadly, about the Armenian cause. This episode will only focus on the ongoing conflict with Artsakh and Azerbaijan. This was the conversation, which happened to be recorded just weeks before the first attack on Artsakh on September 27th. Mr. Hamparian, for those who may not be familiar with the Artsakh and Azerbaijan conflict, could you please give us a quick summary of the situation as well as a recent update on it? Artsakh, um, it's um, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, um, Artsakh is a part of Armenia. It's been part of Armenia as long as there has been in Armenia. Um, there are, for example, uh, holy sites in Artsakh that were established in even the first century. There's Dativank, which is a, a monastery that was uh, founded by St. Dadi, who was a student of St. Saint, of Saint Thaddeus, the Apostle Thaddeus, who you know, preached in Armenia in the first century. So there are very, very deep Christian roots and even deeper Armenian roots that go back literally thousands of years. Um, unfortunately, during the genocide era, uh, a time in which Armenians you know, suffered horrifically and were very nearly destroyed, uh, many, many terrible things happened. Among those terrible things was the, the theft, the, the, the carving out of Artsakh from Armenia and it being placed under Azerbaijan's jurisdiction, Soviet Azerbaijani jurisdiction. Um, that was an injustice. It was wrong on so many levels. Uh, it was resisted by uh, the Armenians in Armenia and in Artsakh. And at the first opportunity in the late 80s, as the Soviet Union started to weaken and crumble, uh, the Armenians, you know, in, in one voice said, no, Artsakh needs to come back and we need to fix this historical wrong. 
what was Armenian for thousands of years and was stolen from us for a period of about seven uh, decades uh, needs to be uh, returned. The situation needs to be rectified. Azerbaijan didn't like it, attacked Artsakh, eventually started a war with Artsakh. They lost that war with Artsakh and Artsakh declared its independence in, in 1991 now. So uh, about three decades ago. Uh, so that, that's where we are. Now, Azerbaijan's never been happy about that. They were never happy that, um, that the people of Artsakh wanted to be returned to uh, Armenia and they weren't happy that they lost the war. So what they've done is they have uh, consistently violated the ceasefire that was signed by the parties in 1994. And we saw a really big example of that in 2016. And we saw a more recent example uh, starting on July 12th of this year. So what, what, if you think about it in terms of game theory, it's something like the uh, Artsakh or the Armenians, let's say the Armenians. The Armenians are the status quo power in the sense that they are generally uh, satisfied with the status quo and that Artsakh is not physically um, uh, separated from them. They, they are in physical control of Artsakh, most of it, right? The Art Azerbaijan would be the, the non-status quo power in the sense that they don't like the way things are by and large, and they seek to disrupt the status quo, right? That's, uh, I, that, that's like a priori reasoning. That's um, reasoning prior to evidence, let's say, right? So that's one way to think about it. And I, I think a priori is an important way to think about it, but let's enter the world of, of evidence. Um, in the world of evidence, we see two different things. Uh, first is that the leaders of Azerbaijan talk all the time about reconquering Artsakh. They, it's, it is, they, it's not like it's a secret and they say, well, we would never do that. They say, oh, no, absolutely we would do that. And we'll do it tomorrow. And it's our right to do so. So we have their statements. And then third, we have uh, the fact that the Azerbaijani side does, uh, how do I say this, uh, seeks to evade, uh, avoid accountability and um, to escape responsibility. And the specific example of this is the international community has pushed for, for more than five years now a proposal that started in the US Congress called the Royce Angle Peace Proposals. And among these proposals is putting gunfire locators on the line of contact uh, which would be neutrally monitored by the OSCE. And uh, that way, the, ne the next time a shot is fired from either side, the OSC monitors, who are from Europe and, and, and North America, would be able to identify where the shots came from, where they were directed, the type of uh, munitions or caliber of the, of the rounds that are used. And, and they could call balls and strikes, right? Now, the Armenian side, uh, ANC included, and many others, including Armenia, Artsakh, the U.S. State Department, the OSC, has said, yeah, that would be a great idea. Uh, let's have more accountability. How, why, who could possibly oppose that? Okay, the answer is Azerbaijan could oppose that. Azerbaijan has said they reject the idea of gunfire locators. It's, you know, unacceptable to them. And that's a third, I would argue, a bit of evidence that it's Azerbaijan that is the disruptive side, the one that seeks to um, uh, unsettle the status quo and the one that's initiating the aggression. So you have a priori, you have the, the rhetoric, the, the, the statements, right? Uh, uh, the statements that Aliyev and others make. And then third, you have the, their rejecting of accountability mechanisms. So uh, that's kind of where we are. Azerbaijan doesn't like the way things are. They like to light a fire under the Armenians' attack every few months, every couple of years. Uh, the Armenian side is saying, look, let's work it out. Let's uh, settle the line of contact. Let's have a little piece at the ceasefire line. And then we can sit down and talk through whatever we need to talk through. But you're not going to like... Um, sniper us into, uh, uh, into a peace settlement. As Mr. Hamparion clearly explained, Artsakh has belonged to the Armenian people dating back to the early first century, long before Azerbaijan even existed. It was only in 1918 
that the country of Azerbaijan was established. Artsakh was never theirs. As Mr. Hamparian also mentions, it was an act of theft to the Armenian people that Stalin, quote, gifted, unquote, Artsakh to Azerbaijan as a way to pull Turkey and the West towards communism. Azerbaijan has no legal claim to Artsakh. As of right now, with sadness and extreme devastation, there is a full-blown war happening. Azerbaijan is attacking Artsakh for the purpose of claiming Armenia's centuries-old homeland and, let me be clear, ethnic cleansing of the Armenian people. Armenians around the world have come together in remarkable solidarity for Artsakh, expressing that it is peace and only peace that Armenians are seeking. The recent virtual telethon, Armenia Fund, raised over $100 million globally, with donations still growing. Unfortunately, this will not be nearly enough to rebuild the country and to help the victims of this war, which is why we still need to continue our contributions. What has helped to bring awareness to this humanitarian crisis is that there have been hundreds of peaceful protests all over the world. With the help of social media, celebrities have expressed strong concern and support for Artsakh and condemning Azerbaijan. One thing that I have been strongly impressed by is the undying optimism and undefeated spirit of the Armenians in Artsakh. Even under such horrendous, barbaric acts, they still stay strong. Azerbaijan and Turkey have ignored calls for ceasefire from the United States, European Parliament, NATO, and the UN. Some of the crimes that are being committed by Azerbaijan and confirmed by Amnesty International are the following. Under the International Criminal Committee Rome Statute, Article 8, War Crimes, Azerbaijan has been internationally attacking non-combatant civilians and attacking non-military objects, intentionally causing long-term and severe damage to the environment, intentionally attacking towns, villages, and dwellings by any means, intentionally attacking religious, educational, and cultural structures, and finally, using cluster bombs on heavily populated areas. Thankfully, over 100 U.S. Senators and Representatives have made official statements that are in full support of Armenians and are condemning Azerbaijan and Turkey. This massive bipartisan support has even led to House Resolution 1165, a resolution condemning Azerbaijan's military operation in Nagorno-Karabakh and denouncing Turkish interference in Armenia. The resolution calls for the U.S. to stop sending financial aid to Turkey and Azerbaijan. The horror that is happening to Armenia is going to have long-lasting ramifications for the world. If we allow Azerbaijan to continue committing war crimes without repercussion, this could mean that it could happen anywhere around the world. We must hold aggressors accountable, or it is just going to continue. As Americans and citizens of the world, we have a duty and a responsibility to take action and stand united for victims of war crimes. It is important to note that since 2018, through the peaceful Velvet Revolution, Armenia has demonstrated and acted through democratic approaches. Not only do they not have a dictatorship, but Armenia and Artsakh are two of the very few countries in that region that value and practice democracy. It is America's, Europe's, and Russia's obligation to preserve these countries. As the great-grandchild of a survivor of the Armenian Genocide, it hurts me to my core that this humanitarian crisis and struggle for existence continues for my people. It is so devastating that innocent, peaceful civilians are being killed and that their homeland is being destroyed and possibly lost. Armenian soldiers in the front lines are proud to serve their country and have made and will continue to make the ultimate sacrifice to protect what is most important. We don't know how many soldiers, civilians, and churches we will lose. But what I do know is that the people of Artsakh won't even utter the words of surrender. 
They will fight to the end and maintain their resilience because there is no alternative for the brave people of Artsakh who have lived in their homeland since the first century. I would like to express my immense gratitude to our tireless leader, Mr. Aram Hamparian, a true champion of the Armenian people all around the world, for giving me the gracious opportunity to interview him. I would like to close by playing a song called Gerunk by Gomitas, played by Sevag Avanesian, a cellist who played this piece of music in Shushi's Holy Savior Cathedral in Artsakh only days after it was bombed. The video shows a haunting image of Sevak playing in the middle of the damaged church with pieces of shattered glass and debris covering the floor. This goes to show that even in the midst of destruction and war, Armenians always find a way to create beauty in their darkest hours. Thank you for listening. This is Yossi Y with Christian Yurelekian.